Hello and welcome back to The Shakedown, an F1 motorsports learning podcast. My name is Ellie and along with Moni and Hannah, we are learning about F1 and many other motorsport series too. In this episode, we talk about some of the news ahead of the Qatar Grand Prix and touch on the basics of three other motorsport series, MotoGP, Formula E and WEC, the World Endurance Championships. As always, if you want to get in touch or have suggestions of things you want to know about, you can find us on Instagram at PrettyGirlF1Club and on Twitter at PGF1C. Or you can follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. But for now, enjoy! Hello everybody and welcome back to The Shakedown. It is our 25th episode, so I wanted to give us a shout out for that one. Um, I didn't is it not? That. No. <laughs> Damn, I Damn. definitely... Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> what? What episode is it then? 24. I thought it was 25. Is it 24? I just recorded the intro and it was 24. Unless I've messed up my numbers somewhere, which is entirely possible. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it's 24. Okay, well, we're off to a great start, everybody. <laughs> yep. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> hey, we're all having a great week. Look. I, you know what? No. Yeah. So... Clearly, a lot's going on in our lives, but there's also a lot going on in the F1 world. Now, first of all, we're going to talk about, I say F1 world, first of all, we're going to talk about motorsports in a bit more generally, and we're going to talk about some stuff that's kicking off in IndyCar. There are two big pieces of news, both linking to one Aero McLaren team, which the name may sound familiar to you if you're more familiar with F1. It is linked to the McLaren F1 team. They come under the same sort of umbrella company, but slightly separate, and it is is in IndyCar. So what two things have gone on with McLaren, or Arrow McLaren as it is, in IndyCar? I know one of them. I know nothing about the other. Okay, give us the one you've got. So Arrow McLaren are suing Alex Pillow, the reigning IndyCar champion, for $23 million as a baseline. Every article that I've read says at least $23 million. And the reason they are suing him is because he backed out of a contract with them. This is not new news. We just didn't know what Arrow McLaren were going to do with that new information that he has now backed out of contract with them. The answer is they're suing him, which is honestly fair. He signed a contract and he broke it. And apparently, I'm assuming from this number, it was worth somewhere around that much money, which is a lot for IndyCar. Yeah. IndyCar drivers typically do not earn the same kind of region as F1 drivers. Which are, I mean, Max Verstappen is, I think, it's fifty million. But you know, yeah. it sounds like they feel genuinely aggrieved. Now, the last lawsuit that McLaren were involved in was uh, one Piasco, which they won, obviously. And so interesting to see that they're pursuing this one as well. I guess we'll kind of see where it goes, and obviously we will keep you updated with that. Mon, are you aware of the second one? Isn't it the partnership with a? Uh... Mm. Juco Racing, right? Yep. So they have entered into what the they have described as a strategic partnership between Aaron McLaren and Junkos Hollinger. And it's a bit unclear quite what that's going to be. Uh, it was joint release from both the teams. It sounds like it's focusing on the commercial side and then they've put in air quotes, may evolve over time. So it's potential that there will be driver sharing, developing of talent, engineers and mechanics sharing they're both powered by team chevy so yeah it's interesting to see how it will pan out we don't really know it's they're kind of saying oh it helps both of us uh, it helps us 
you know, leverage our commercial power for both of us, like rebrand McLaren. So, yeah, it's in, it's going to be interesting to see. I think they both had a bit of sort of a, a bit of a bigger year. They've grown a little bit. They've Arrow have added a third car and Yukos have added a second car. So, yeah, they're both growing and I guess time will tell and we'll see quite what will happen with this particular thing. But I want to keep your up to date because obviously we've dipped into IndyCar earlier in the year and then again when Mon went to the race. So, yeah, exciting times, I think, I hope. That's very Red Bull or Mercedes of them. I can't decide which one because if it's a strategic partnership, that sounds very Baby Bull. Yeah. But if it's just a partnership, that sounds very Williams. And I can't tell. We're going to see. We'll mm. see the developments of it. Yeah, it's been rumored for a while. It has been rumored for yeah. a little while. So now it's just been officially announced. So we shall see. But moving on to F1. Uh, looking towards the weekend that is coming up. Uh, by the time this comes out, they will already be starting to do media and things like that at Qatar. So we are back at Qatar after a two-year break, after only having been there once. So Qatar, Hannah, tell us a little bit about what we can expect from the track. So Qatar is not an F1 circuit. It was not built for four wheels. It was built for two. It was built for MotoGP. It is where MotoGP starts their season most of the time. They've been starting there since mid-2010s, I want to say, is when they really decided to make it like their beginning, like traditional start. So it is not a track that is traditionally suited for four-wheel cars. Now, that being said, Mm -hmm. that means it is a thin track. It is a track that Mm -hmm. is exposed to elements. And the gravel traps, if they exist, they're not gravel traps, they're sand. Right. So it definitely creates some interesting moments. They do put in gravel, but it's on top of beds of sand, kind of like how Zandvoort is on top of sand dunes. But it's open to the elements. If there's any elevation changes, it's very minimal. I don't think there are any, though, to be honest with you. Um, Could be wrong. It is in the middle of a desert. It is in Qatar. Uh, Qatar, depending on how you pronounce it and where you're from, he... Like Ellie said, we did not go there last year due to a couple of reasons. One was the World Cup. Uh, They were building in that kind of, like, vicinity, so it's going to look a lot different than we're used to. You say that, but we've only been there once before. Like, the only time they did go was in 2021, so... I don't feel like I'm used to this truck, to be honest. Okay, well, maybe it's me because I was staring at the... I was rewatching the Grand Prix trying to create sure. a video out of it. Basically, it's in the middle yeah. of a desert. It is quite the drive to get there. The drivers stay in Doha, and then they go to Losai. Losai is standing on its own in the middle of a desert. Like, that is that. Right. Okay, so it's going to be a lot different to any other track we're used to. Even, like... The other Middle Eastern tracks, they are either in a city or on a marina. They are not standing on their own in the middle of nowhere. Yes, Ellie. What does that mean for fan access? Honestly, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it's in the middle of nowhere, how does, like, are they going to put on specific, like, special shuttle buses, that kind of thing? Or is it largely catering to people who have the means to get there under their own steam? And, I mean, if you don't know the answer, very valid. I don't know the answer, hence the reason I'm asking. But this is, that's an interesting one because we, we've talked before about accessibility to fans, but particularly to general fans of stuff. So, yeah. No, that's okay. a fair question. And I think the most likeness that I can provide is CODA. 
Coda is technically mm-hmm. in the outskirts of Austin, but it's not in Austin proper. And it is quite the trek to get there. And you need to have planned it out and have it ready to go for a day of, or you're going to be scrambling. Like, that's the mm-hmm. most likeness I can if give. Anybody on who's listening to the podcast is going to Austin. This is a Hannah's PSA to just, you know, sort your transport out. <laughs> yes, please. Yes. Even Daniel will tell you it is the trek to get there. So he put it on a it horse. Yeah, he trailered Horsey the McHorse? horse. Horsey McHorse was trailered there Horsey first. McHorse. Don't worry. It would be more authentic if he had actually ridden horse in the course there. So I'm going to allow that headcanon to live on in my mind. That's fair enough. Um, But yeah, so it is in the middle of nowhere. It's exposed to the elements, the elements being wind and sand. Last time out, there was quite the diverse group of fans that did go. So your question is very valid. And I do kind of wonder and I want to know how the drivers get there themselves this year. Because I don't remember how they got there in 2021. Mm. Um, They did stay in Doha proper. They are staying in Doha proper this time. Um, So it's going to be interesting. It is a very valid question, and hopefully we'll have an answer by the end of the weekend. Yeah. Now, it's a sprint weekend. Again, haven't had one for a while. So sprint weekends, just to remind you, you get the one FP1 session on Friday in the morning, and then one qualifying for the Sunday race on Friday afternoon. Saturday is kind of a standalone event by itself. You've got a sprint shootout in the morning, which sets the grid for the sprint race, which is a third of the distance of the normal race Saturday afternoon. And then Sunday, as per usual, we have a normal race. So that's sort of recap of sprint weekend format. Now, there's been a lot of debate about whether or not Daniel Ricciardo would make it back for Qatar, whether or not he'd take an extra two weeks and come back in Austin. Come on, what's the update? I think it was officially confirmed as we recorded this morning that Liam's going to drive in Qatar and then Danny will be back in Austin. Yeah, it's looking likely he'll come back to Austin, which is another sprint weekend. Sense, if you think about it. It does. It really does make sense. Like, they only have the one practice session. So if he did the one practice session and then didn't feel up to it, to then pass over to Liam at that point wouldn't really be fair to Liam because then he's going straight into qualifying on a track mm-hmm. that he probably has never driven before. So I think it does make sense, unfortunately. But ultimately, we want Daniel back and fit and healthy and uh, as close to 100% as he can be. And he's obviously already got the seat for next year. So at one level, why not take the extra time and do it really, really well? So particularly because after Austin, they're going to a triple header. So they've got okay. Austin, then Mexico, then Brazil, Brazil, Vegas. Nope, Brazil, Brazil is not Vegas. Vegas. Oh, Vegas is second. Oh, last. no, Vegas is middle. Of, oh, yeah. You are right. So it's Austin, Vegas. Sorry, Austin, Mexico, Brazil. Mm-hmm. So it does make sense for him to kind of take a little bit longer. And Liam doesn't have another Super Formula race until the weekend of Mexico, which is the last weekend of October. So they may as well take the opportunity to, mm-hmm. yeah, let him know. What other news have we got then from around the globe, around the world, around the motorsports world? We have some WEC news. Ooh. WEC is where Le Mans is, right? Yes. WEC stands okay. for World Endurance Championship. It is Le Mans. It is Daytona 24 Hours, which Alex is gunning for next year. Mm-hmm. Alex Albon, which will be super fun if mm-hmm. he does end up getting that drive. We are seeing some action in the Alpine sector, the Sebastian Vettel sector. Woo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Aston Martin sector as well. So Alpine is looking at Mick 
for one of their seats part-time, I think. I'm not sure if it's full-time or part-time. I think he's still going to be a part of the Mercedes development program next year. And then Aston Martin are entering WEC from 2025 with their Valkyrie. And then there's a... We don't usually do speculation, but we're going to speculate because it's super exciting if it's true. Sebastian Vettel, Jensen Button, and I want to say Robert Kubica want to enter at least 24 Hours of Le Mans. Correct me? Is it 24 Hours of Le Mans for next year? That's what's been reported and speculated. So if that's true, that's super exciting because that means that all of the Seb girlies get their get their driver back, um, which includes my mom. Um, so that's really <laughs> exciting. Shout out to Hannah's mom. We're here for you. Manifesting yeah, your dreams into reality. And then that means that also Jensen Button gets to be behind the wheel again, aside from his stint in NASCAR, which I honestly really like seeing him in NASCAR, so I'm surprised he didn't take up something more and out of that. And then we'll see Robert again, which will be really fun. Remind me, have they suggested which manufacturer or which car they're likely to be running? In my head, it was a German man. They might be Aston. Was it? Ooh. Because I thought that was 2025. I, yeah, that's true. It might not be. I don't know, to be honest with you. I had Porsche or Audi in my head, but I don't think Audi run at Le Mans, so I think it could be Porsche. Maybe BMW? I could be wrong. Does BMW run one anymore? I don't remember. I don't remember. Anyways, but yes, that is the WEC news. Um, Super exciting WEC news. So, yeah. Moni, who's coming back to Formula E? Nicholas. Oh, Nick DeVries. I don't even know his phone name's Nick, but Nicholas. But Nick DeVries. It's Hendrick. It's Hendrick, Nick. Hendrick? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, this is where I found out Nick DeVries' full name. Uh, but Nick DeVries is going back to FE. But didn't he win FE already? Or did I make that up in my head? He is a champion, yeah. Two times, oh. I think. But it's like, it's like F1. You don't get kicked out when you win. Okay. F2, okay. you obviously can't redo if you've won it. But okay, okay. yeah, he, he can go back to it and do it again. There's a guy from F2, um, Jay Handarubala, who's also signed in FE. Um, for yep. next year. I didn't know that. So I missed that one with Maserati, right? Yeah, he signed with Maserati, which you know it's it's interesting. I'll touch on it later in the episode with some other stuff that we discuss. But obviously, F one seats are becoming more and more scarce, so it's exciting to see some of the guys in F two starting to lock up their careers elsewhere for the next year. Yes, Hannah. Hannah, get you're getting very excited and animated in the corner. Please do tell. We forgot we forgot one very exciting piece of news, which is Andretti was approved <gasps> for their F one application. Yes, yes. yes. How could we forget that? So there might be more seats in F one. Well there seats. might be more seats. And it's still early days because they have been approved by the FIA. Yes. Mm-hmm. They have the not one. been accepted by the grid by the teams by fom you know it's not fully accepted yet it's not fully guaranteed but it's very exciting they have been accepted by let the me FIA dream let me dream let us let us have our hope and dreams and also i'm know, happy to have the hopes and dreams if you want to grow in the american market want to have a name that even i as a very new fan have heard of way before i even paid attention right. in motorsports i'm just saying right anyways oh, i, I think really true so what we're going to do today is we've mentioned nick devries going to uh, formula e we have mentioned about seb doing the one we've mentioned about nick we've mentioned about Aston martin which is all to do with web and as hannah rightly mentioned earlier qatar is set up for moto gp 
So what we're going to do is we're going to sort of link into all of these three and we're going to talk, just do a little taster mini-sode on each one. So we've each done some research into one of those three and we're going to sort of do like a whistle-stop tour. This is not going to be like some of our 101 episodes. We did obviously F101 and then 102 and then we did IndyCar 101. This isn't going to be quite as detailed as that. We're just going to do sort of a slightly shorter take on it. But whilst we primarily do focus on F1, we are a motorsports podcast. So we wanted to kind of shed a bit of light on some of these things, given that you may be hearing more about them if you follow F1 because F1 drivers and former F1 drivers are heading more in those directions. So kicking us off with MotoGP, Hannah, talk to us about what it is. So MotoGP is like the F1 of motorcycle riding. Mm -hmm. First of all, let's start with the governing body because it is different. The governing body is called the FIM, not the FIA. It is the same premise, but it is the FIM, which is... I'm so sorry for my pronunciation. I am so sorry. Um, The Federación Internacional Motorbike, I think, is what it is. I can't remember. I just wrote down FIM because I was scribbling notes. And my French is not great, if existing at all. Um, so it's the first thing. It was, it was originally founded in 1949, so it is older than Formula One by a year. The first GP being at the Isle of Man. It is a, so it has classes just like Formula One. It has classes. They call them classes. We call them series. The fir- the top class is the premier class. That's MotoGP. That's the one you hear about. Then you have Moto Two and Moto Three. Mm-hmm. Now Moto Two is their intermediate series. Okay, it's the next step down, but it's not quite junior. Like it's right above yeah. junior. It's like the reserve. I'm gonna call it the reserve drivers class, basically. And then Moto3 mm-hmm. is your juniors, okay? Um, there are three types of teams. Mm-hmm. There are um, the manufacturer teams. They own the bikes. Yep. They're like your Mercedes, your, your Aston Martin. Like, your Aston Martin's not your manufacturer, but that's the point. Um, you understand the point. That would be Yamaha, Ducati, Aparilla, KTM, and Honda. Then you have your factory teams which they are own like your constructors are your yamahas your ducatis aparilla ktm and honda then you have your factory teams made out of those which is your monster yamaha your ducati corsa your aparilla racing your red bull ktm and your repsol honda sorry i can't read my own writing it's always fun and then your satellite teams which are your customer teams your satellite teams only exist for Ducati, uh, Aparilla, Red Bull, uh, KTM, sorry, KTM, and Honda. Yamaha does not have any satellite teams. So those are, for Ducati, it's Prima Premac, Mooney, and Grissini Racing. For Aparilla, it's just RNF Aparilla. Um, for Red Bull KTM or KTM, it's Gas Gas. Factory Racing Tech 3. And then for Honda, it is LCR Team Honda. So that is, those are the teams. And yes, I kind of stumbled through that because I can't read my own handwriting and that's always fun. 
let's see, your weekend format. Now the weekend format has changed this year and it will change going forward. They have now added sprint races. Mm -hmm. It used to be that there was four free practice sessions. Now Mm -hmm. there are one free free practice one is on Friday. Your Friday is your free practice one, which is 45 minutes. Your timed practice, which is 60 minutes. Your FP2 is on Saturday. It's the start of your Saturday. It's only 30 minutes. Then you have qualifying one, which is 15, and qualifying two, which is 15. Now there's only two qualifying sessions. And when I say that, the reason there's only two qualifying sessions is because they take the best times from from the practice sessions and they stack them and classify them. The top 10 for MotoGP move on automatically to qualifying two. Right. Okay. For Moto 2 and 3, it's top 14. Okay. Sorry, no. Not the top 14. So similar in a way to IndyCar, where the practice session times do actually have an impact later on. Obviously not quite the same, but obviously we know that IndyCar practice uh, sets the groups. Then you have qualifying one is everybody below the top 10. And they go on for those 15 minutes. The top two go back, go into qualifying two. And they race for their grid. Now, the grid, that qualifying session sets the grid for both the sprint race and the feature race on mm-hmm. Sunday. Now, the sprint race is 50 to 65 kilometers, 20 to 25 minutes. Sunday is your warm-up and your race. Now, they have a, this is weird, where it gets kind of weird, where it's similar to IndyCar again, where you have a session in the morning on race day. So they can familiarize themselves mm-hmm. on race day. Um, it is... I don't know if there's a, I couldn't find a specified time for it. I'm sure there is, but I couldn't find it in my quick research. Race the race itself is 100 to 30, 130 kilometers depending on the track, which is 45 to 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then let's see. So the grid itself is different. It is not 2 by 2, it is 3 by 3. Starting 1 2 3 starting from like if you're standing on the grid, the P1 spot is in the left corner, top left corner, and then it's diagonal down by three. Yep. Okay? Yep. Points are also different. Points, feature race is 25 points, and it goes down five, four, three, two, all the way to sixth place, and then it, where, or sorry, fifth place, where it becomes um, 11 points, and then it's 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, all the way down to 15th place, where it's one. So it's one through 15 who get points in the feature. And is there a limit on how many drivers there are? What do you mean? Per team? How many drivers are there? Oh, oh, I literally saw this. Like, I wrote it down and now I can't find it. I think it's 22, 23. I'm just trying to work out proportionally 15 of them getting points. Yeah. Obviously, on an F1 grid, that would be three quarters of the grid. Like, I don't remember exactly because I, it, changes obviously it's kind of like indycar where it yeah. does change per year so like there isn't a defined number mm-hmm. depending on who has contracts and you know the funding of the team and the satellite team and whatever else so it does change and my apologies for my underpreparedness in that sector the sprint race is 12 points to the winner and then it goes down to ninth place at one so yep let's see the sprint race is a new ad it started in 2023 the um and then there's obviously some other like things that have changed because of that. We've gone over the weekend. So what is the bike spec? 
The bike spec is a six-speed, four-cylinder, 100, sorry, 1,000cc engine, and the dry weight is 157 kilograms. There was also something called the ride height device that is now restricted. The ride height device is something that they could use to literally change the ride height mid-race. Wow. They are now restricted to using that at the start only. Okay. Okay. However, they are more technologically advanced in our in their warning system so if there's a crash the crash is detected and then it's sent directly to the bikes on their display so that's kind of that's they're better off than formula one in that aspect the one thing i found really cool is their tires i know you can't escape tire talk here would we even want to i don't know would you the tires (laughs) are different colors than we're used to Yellow is hard. There is no paint on the medium tires for dry, and the softs are white. Okay? Wet tires are light blue, dark blue, and white. And those are extra soft, soft, and medium tires in that order. Now, here's the kicker it's a different bike. They don't change on, yeah. they don't change tires. It's a different bike they altogether. Bikes. They just change bikes. So that's kind of really cool. But the last thing I'll leave you with is the championship. The riders championship is your WDC. Your team championship is your WCC. But you also have your independent teams and your independent riders and then a rookie championship. So the highest rookie also gets to win something. Oh, Do they always have rookies? Hmm? I don't know. They all have it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you just... Would you expect turnover, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. I mean, it's not... You, you don't always get, like, a retirement. Kind of like you don't always get a retirement in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Um, But I feel like there's always, like, teams switching out their riders. Yep. Because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And if it does work, contracts are always expiring. And I think that's the point of that. Yeah. Good. And thank you for a whistle-stop tour of MotoGP. I tried. Okay. You did great. My question for you is, obviously, Formula 1 for all three of us is probably the main thing that that we are interested in, that we watch, that we keep track of. Taking a look at MotoGP, is there an aspect that either you've already explained or anything that you haven't touched on yet that you think MotoGP do really well and F1 should bring in? mm, That's a great question. And honestly, like I said, their safety systems have... Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they're faster. I will say, like Formula One and their feeder series, the safety measures are working their way downward as opposed to upward. Like we talked Mm -hmm. about a few, like a couple episodes ago, and we talked about it in our safety Mm -hmm. episode where we said that Formula Three is the last to get any developments for safety. And they're working their way down. It's the same thing. Um, I was watching yeah. a video with Lando Norris, of all people, because he went to the 2023 British Grand Prix, MotoGP Grand Prix with Max Futrell, his wag, this year. And they were in a Moto3 garage and they were talking about safety. And it is, and they were, somebody, I want, I want to say one of the MotoGP drivers told him that his biggest crash was in Moto3. Right. That was the one he walked away the worst from. So... Yeah. To me, that kind of just, it's something that both series could work on. I know it's not what you asked, yeah. but their safety measures are already better because they're personal. They do have in their required equipment, they have six impact airbags that are triggered right. 
within 20 milliseconds of a crash detection. Wow. Wow. I tell you right now. Wow. The one does not have airbags, but they're also not human on ground. They have a slightly, I was going to say, they have slightly more protection around them than the MotoGP guys, which if you've never watched it, it is insane. It really is. I honestly am at a point where, like, I don't know if I can watch it because I find it incredibly anxiety inducing because the speeds they go like it's amazing it, it like it is amazing but it's also slightly terrifying and yeah i don't need too much more we terror in my life. we're on a five way to keep me on my toes so the two things i picked up on from what you said that i find particularly interesting are i do find it really fascinating that f1 is one of the few series i guess that doesn't have a warm-up on the sunday like, I do find that really interesting. Yeah. Like, I don't know which way I'd want it. Like, I guess they have a lot more sponsor commitments, which they often are doing in the paddock on mm-hmm. a Sunday morning. But, yeah, I just found that interesting. And the other thing I picked up on that I do find curious, I'm not even curious, I find it super cool. Do you think there'd ever be a place where F1 cars could swap a whole car in the wet? Because obviously we know that downforce and there are other ways the car's set up differently in the wet, but I can't see it being feasible. No, I don't think it's feasible because the garage can only fit on F1 car and then the mechanics have to skirt their way yeah. around it. Yeah, the, the, the bikes are cool, aren't they? The, from, from a money standpoint, you have, it would create such a difference. Like there used to be the third car. Remember there used to be the third Mm -hmm. car in formula one where if you destroyed one, you could, you could potentially get a third car. You could, you could go back and you could start over again. So basically if you, if you both, you are going to crash in your team, you better be the first one to crash. Essentially. I was going to say Brundle's Brundle spoke about that. Didn't he? One time he crashed into his, I think it was Martin Brundle. He crashed into his teammate and they raced back to the pits to see who would get a car. So I think that they've done away with that, essentially. Yeah, and I guess also Mm -hmm. for F1, because the races are slightly longer, Mm -hmm. if they're changing to wet tyres, they may have to change the intermediates, they may have to change back to slicks. Like, you could Mm -hmm. have the gradient. It was just a curiosity that I wondered. Interesting. And I say, it's always interesting to see how the series do it mm-hmm. to me Mon, any any quick questions before we move on not at all well we come to you next then <laughs> Mon, what did you look into tell us all about i it. look i looked at for- formula e good old fe which honestly i did not hear about until like this year um and even then because did not hear much about it i knew they had a race in portland and that's all i knew because trying to find that information about the portland race was not gonna lie very hard when i did look into it because i was like oh i have a summer i can probably go no did not find anything that was like useful for me to plan a trip that so hopefully they change that because they announced races for next year and portland's on it again and mexico's the opening race of the city of the series which is cool so fe the the idea of it started in 2011. It officially started in 2014, and in 2020, it became a FIA World Championship Series, or they reached the that status. And apparently, F1 is the only other series to have that status when it comes to the FIA. So that's really interesting. Uh, the cars are electric Formula E electric cars. They're similar to the F1 hybrid cars. Um, tires are hand cooked tires. Again, tire talk. Uh, there are 22 drivers, 11 teams. 
interesting, all the circuits they race on are street circuits, which I did not know that until I like looked into it. And it's very interesting. It's like, hmm. Uh, circuits range from 1.9 to 3.4 kilometers, so like one to two miles, basically. Point system is, is like the Formula One where you win, you get 28, 18, 15, 12, 12, that fun stuff. You get three points if you're a pool, and if you're the fastest lap and you finish within the top 10, you get an extra point for the fastest lap. There's a driver's championship and a constructor's or a team championship. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, we'll go into, uh, the race weekend because then that leads into the fun little tidbits of uh formula e uh there are two 30 minute practice sessions on saturday where they're free to use your full like qualifying power which is 350 watts that's a lot I, that's all i know uh so it's like 200 miles per hour i think is how fast they go um and then for qualifying, they're split up into two groups so it's like based on championship positions so group a is the odd numbers group these the even numbers you have 10 minutes to set the fastest lap uh, and then it's like top four from each group duel so it's like the top four versus each other and then the top two is how they go about it and then from the winners from like the final two p1 p2 and then p3 p4 and then from there that's how they do it any questions so far no nope? okay what so do you fun. well you may not know the answer to this but what is the so 350 watts Mm-hmm. What's that? What's the equipment like? Is that like the same power as a vacuum cleaner? This, yeah, I was gonna say because you know, you're like I think about it. My microwave is 800 watts, but I feel like an F1 car should be more powerful than my microwave. It <laughs> no, probably is. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Can you imagine my microwave powering a car? Goodness me, that would be hilarious in many ways. <laughs> um, no, I, it was interesting you say about the street circuit thing because when I think about it, every FE race I've ever seen is on a street circuit, but I've never clocked that, if that makes sense. Maybe that just makes me stupid. I don't know. No, I mean, I I mean, also, I haven't seen an FE race just because they're on CBS Sports, and even then, it's not like they're all ice on TV here. It's like it's not like every single race is on CBS, especially if it's yeah. on Sunday, and depending on the time of year, CBS has. No offense to Effie, but there are bigger sporter contracts F CBS has to yeah. show over them, depending, especially depending on the time. So, like, if you want to watch it, apparently you can watch it on CBS Channel Four or YouTube. So, right, but like to watch it's like nice. the full weekend on CBS here, you have to pay for CBS Sports, which is extra money yeah. if it's not really included in the package you're paying for. But, anyways, but yeah, that's interesting. Now, some fun little things about FE. So, their version of, like, DRS is called attack mode. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. Which is, we like, have so mentioned funny. it on previous episodes, haven't we? Yeah. I think we have. And I said, like, it reminds me of, like, Super Mario, like Mario Kart with the mushrooms. Yes. Like, that's what that reminds me. And it's, like, attack mode. It's, like, so basically it's eight minutes where you can use two minutes and then six minutes or two, four minutes of it. And that's basically your your DRS, and that it gives you an extra twenty five kilowatt watts, basically. So it adds more speed to it, to the already three hundred and fifty they have. So it makes it three seventy five. My math's correct. Mm-hmm. So it makes it faster. So like they have full eight minutes, they can use it. They don't have to use it at all, or they can use the full eight minutes. And I think starting next season, uh, they have something called or they're going to implement something called an attack charge which is uh 
It's going to require a mandatory 30-second stop to recharge the battery, and the stop will unlock to attack mode boost, and it, which is an extra 4 kilowatts of power. So it becomes a strategy thing where do you pit, effectively? I'm guessing yeah. they don't have pit stops. No, I don't think so. I don't, I didn't, they I they change cars like instead. Oh, really? I mean, huh. And, and I'm guessing guess it wouldn't run if it's wet? Is that a stupid thing to say? I have no idea. I did not see anything about that. But I mean, well, we talk tires, you know. So, I mean, I I would assume they can because if like my hybrid car on the street can drive, yeah, why wouldn't (laughs) a Formula E car that's technically like producing technology to then go into road? Now, interesting point. So you brought up attack mode, and I don't know if you saw this, but there used to be something called fan boost. Yes, mm-hmm. they they stopped that, but I did. Rem- I do remember reading that that like fans would get to vote on like who gets the the extra boost, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which feels so savage. Yeah, what? Do you know I, what I mean, like imagine being the guy that never got voted for fan boost. That's oh, it was readily like two people who got voted for fan boost. It was not evenly yeah. spread. <laughs> no, I it would be like that. Lando getting it all the time or something. I don't know. It's an interesting question. Who in F one would get fan boost all the time? I think it depends on the season and the track. Yeah. Well, because you think it, our equivalent is driver of the day. You just don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just not impacting the extra yeah. boost. Yet. But yeah, that's basically all I have in FE that I was able to see. Other than their preseason testing has been announced. And it's basically the week of October 27th in Valencia, Spain. And then they've announced some of the rate like their calendar for next year and like the last three races are in portland and the last portland and then the final two races are in london and then mexico city's opening up the fun mm-hmm. so how many races are there in the calendar 17 i want to say 17 and how many were there in the moto gp calendar so they've changed it a few times as of 2017, it was 18 races. As of 2023, it's 21. So they're growing okay. the calendar. Just so like again, yeah, so not hugely dissimilar to the number of F1 races. Um, well, the same question to you that I asked Hannah. What thing from FE do you think F1 could implement? The only thing that comes to mind, and I guess it's kind of like the same with like IndyCar qualified when I saw it, was like just like the groups of how they did quality. It's like they split it mm. up, so it's not just like everyone on the track and that's like the only thing that like i would actually change that comes to mind so is like just qualifying stuff i mean it'll be Mm -hmm. really hilarious if we have like you can't obviously have attack mode because it's just drs but like what they used to have with the fan boost that'd be funny just to see who would get it but what a driver of the day meant something yeah Mm -hmm. but the fe doesn't even do that anymore so yeah it's just like the qualifying stuff i guess yeah i like it i think it's cool and obviously, F1 is heading in a slightly more E direction because of the new hybrid engines from 2026. So it'll be interesting to see which of the teams that have an FE car can use some of their technology to help mm-hmm. build their, their 2026 hybrid car. Because am I right in thinking, is it only McLaren that now have an FE? Which used to be Mercedes team. And this year, I think, is the first year it's been the McLaren team. Are there any other teams that are linked with or attached to teams on the grid? 
Not that I saw or that any that come to mind. I think McLaren's the only obvious one that like has yeah. like a car and like the three like quote unquote single seater series. You can say it's like yeah. I don't recognize any of the other names. No. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Anna, any other questions for Mon on FE? No, I think I, I I think you covered it very well. Yeah, very well. It, it, it's interesting because FE is obviously more similar to F1 than mm-hmm. MotoGP. Whilst there are similarities between them all, that one seems to follow a little bit more closely into what we're used to. But like you say, the qualifying thing is interesting. It's very interesting. So finally, I have looked into WEC or World Endurance Championships, which is another FIA-sanctioned series. So... It holds races all around the world, hence the reason it's the World Endurance Championships. But you can kind of see a real range of cars because where the two that you guys have looked into are around sort of 20 cars, a little bit more, this has three different categories within it. The key is obviously endurance. That's kind of the point of it. But you have got a huge range of you've got six-hour circuits uh, like Spa-Francorchamps, Portimao, Fuji, Monza, eight hours in Bahrain, and then you've got iconic tracks like 24 hours of Le Mans. so it means that you've got hugely different strategy and hugely different things to take into consideration across all of these races but strategy plays a really really huge part you've got things like swaps we'll I'll come back in a second but you know there's a lot more at play here than just even what we see in a sort of hour and a half f1 race basically so there's lots of different lots more freedom in design you can have lots of different cars and that's shown in the fact that you've got three main classes in it because they're all designed differently so there are factory teams which are things like your ferraris that you'd recognize and then you've got private teams that have very different set of circumstances that sort of bring it forward and then you've got therefore hugely different performance engines so you've got some engines that are from the small teams the private teams that are putting out like 460 horsepower to your experimental hybrid units generating up to over a thousand horsepower so there's a real range of it but one of the big things about it is about road relevance so the manufacturers are there to try and try out their newest inventions they're trying to try out things that you know we've not seen before but a lot of it relates then to to sort of stuff that you then see in the road so some interesting things that you may not know came out of endurance racing windscreen wipers we didn't have windscreen wipers before endurance racing and you know they tested those kind of things which i just find baffling you know and you're like i'm sorry we didn't have windscreen wipers before someone decided it was a good idea in racing well no actually a lot of safety measures things like that that seat belts it all came out of endurance racing so it's a very very got very very old history but in the format that we see it now the world endurance championships itself started in 2012 with some history sort of dating back to like 1992 so yeah you've got two main classes then you've got the prototype cars and you've got the gte cars the prototype cars are kind of mostly aimed at car engine and vehicle manufacturers looking basically for ways to test their cars and and try different things back in the 1970s this was like prototype race cars technical innovations rather than them looking to develop road cars but the prototype category then is divided into two categories. You've got the LMH or the Le Mans hypercar, which is a hypercar that you'd normally hear 
talked about in relation to some of this stuff. That's where your factory team's allowed. And then you've got your LMP2, which is exclusively for privateers. So examples of hypercars is your Ferrari, Toyota, Porsche, Peugeot. LMP2 is like, yeah, your private teams, like your Areca, you've got Delara, and they kind of combine them with a VA engine and try and build a car. Your GTE teams is... These are the ones that you kind of recognize a little bit more. They look more like sports cars that you'd see on the road. They could be even be driven on the road. And they've got a real long history with a combination of amateur drivers and professional racing drivers. So two people that you may have heard of who've both been in the GTE in the 24 hours of the month are Patrick Dempsey and Michael Fassbender. So, you know, theoretically, anybody who has the necessary money to be able to make it happen and a proper racing license can participate in it. They're generally only allowed to drive GT cars that are over a year old. So sometimes the factory teams will use the car from the previous season. I've lost you both, haven't I? No, because I I was laughing because I forgot about that. And then I looked back and I saw Mon's face and that made me... (laughs) Again, if you were a video, my reaction's gold. Absolutely gold. Always gold. So, But all of these cars are taking place on the same track. So what do you reckon the gap is between the GTE cars and the hypercars? How much slower do you reckon they are per lap? 40 miles oh, per hour. So let's go with like 45 seconds. It, literally dead on. So between 15 and 45 seconds, like slower. And obviously that means that the overtakes by the prototypes are basically constant. They're always being overtaken. So the way that they do it differently to what we'd be expecting to see with our blue flags and f1 and indycar is the slower cars hold their line and the faster cars are responsible for overtaking safely so everybody's got to be super aware you've got to know what's going on and if you're a slower car you don't want to be trying an overtake on a different car whilst a hypercar is trying to pass but it is on the hypercar to pass safely basically so 2023 season is going to be the last season for the gte am and it's going to be replaced by a gt3 based category which I don't know tons of details about yet, but basically they're aiming it at a customer-focused category where manufacturers can't enter officially. So I think the idea is more money, different sponsorship, but also that then the it can't be dominated by your Ferraris, your Porsche, and that, those kind of things. It, it allows a little bit more room for new people to come in and, and have a go. So, yeah. they The other thing they have to focus on is on efficiency. Because these races are long. It's, a, it's one of the big things that they have to do. They are given a fuel quantity for each race that they're not allowed to exceed. Now, obviously, they can do refueling and all of those kind of things in these long races. But there's a limit. And the, the limit is reduced slightly every single year. But they're still expected to achieve or supersede the same level of performance. Therefore, they have to get innovative. They have to develop without compromising on performance. So basically, you're saying that the eventual goal is to be able to complete like super far in the future the eventual goal is to be able to complete like a six hours of spa on like one refueling i'd imagine so and i don't know if it's maybe that they're just trying to make the fuel more efficient but again this has then a really positive impact in the cars that we drive on the road because Mm -hmm. they're trying to make the fuel more efficient and historically f1 was was considered sort of the pinnacle of engineering and you saw a lot of that then filter down into that day-to-day cars and i think that's kind of the goal with f like with uh with WEC as well is that they really 
benefit everybody and create better things on the road. So yeah, people can kind of test stuff out. So the big thing um, that you see differently in this to, to something like F1 is that there's a team of drivers for each car. So there's one car, but a group of them. It would be like Max and Checo sharing a car and driving it together. And oh. in the sixth hour, eight, eight hour, I know, I know, it's a hilarious story. It wouldn't work. But <laughs> maybe it would. Who knows? In the six, hour, six to eight hour races, the cars are kind of split between the three drivers, two drivers, and they complete what's called a stint. Now, in most cases, the stint lasts till the cars run out of fuel. And it, there's a difference between the different classes, but they usually saw 45 minutes to an hour. Now, this adds obviously another strategic element because you don't have to change drivers and tyres at every pit stop. But obviously getting someone in the car and someone out the car takes a little bit longer. So in races like the 24 Hours of the Mom, it's more common for the top drivers to do a couple of stints in a row, basically. So often they're doing maybe like three hours in the car at a time. Things that you have to take into account when you're doing it. And I think it's really interesting how much strategy there is going on. And obviously, well, maybe not obviously, drivers are graded. They're, there's platinum to bronze, depending on factors like experience, age, performance. And it means that you have to combine different types of drivers. So you couldn't just put together like a purely professional driver team. So much as it would be a dream to be like, oh, well, You've got Seb and then you've got Lewis and then you've got like Fernando. They could be a team together. They couldn't because they would be all considered too experienced and they'd probably all be graded at platinum, meaning that they couldn't basically make a perfect team. Despite that, it's got some of the best drivers in the world. They've got some incredible people. And as we've already mentioned in today's very episode, there's not a lot of space in F1 at the moment. There's a lot of former F1 drivers have gone there because they wanted to carry on racing, they wanted to have more opportunities. But it's quite difficult for a lot of the younger drivers now to get into F1, so they're trying their way, or making their way into endurance racing, which I think is really exciting. So, yeah, the only other thing to say about it is the focus in the race, obviously, isn't just about going fast. It's about maintaining your average across a long amount of time. So it's balancing tyre wear, it's balancing fuel consumption, and it's balancing speed rather than just fast as you can, absolutely bits it. Anything, other thing to say is points. And points is very similar to that used in F1 and things like that. Top 10 finishes, sliding scale. But the additional things are cars that finish the race, 11th or lower, are all given half a point a participation award because they're driving for a minimum of six hours so i think to come out of that with literally nothing would be devastating (laughs) for eight and ten hour races points are worth 1.5 times uh so like 25 points for a win would be 38 points and then for 24 hours a month points are worth double the amount so ones you might have heard of is like thousand miles of uh, the seabrook six hours of portomeo which is in portugal six hours of spa 24 hours of Le Mans, 6 hours of Monza, 6 hours of Fiji, 8 hours of Bahrain. That's all the ones that we've had this year in the championship. And again, you've got championships, there's 6 championships, and they're split between the WEP overall and the manufacturer overall, and then split across the different categories as well. So that was a whistle-stop tour of that. It's a beautiful whistle-stop tour. Beautiful. Now I know what NASCAR did at Le Mans. I'll say that very American. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in our episode, didn't we, at the time? 
but that's obviously the big one and we've covered sort of minicar we've covered f1 101 you see sort of the most spectacular i guess race of each of those sports becomes the one that formulates triple crown um but i do think WEC is so fascinating because it it's so it's so varied and yet there's actually so few races and you don't have to do every single one obviously there are teams that do just complete in the Le Mans or something like that but you're talking like seven different races this year there's actually potentially an addition of four new ones next year but we're still kind of waiting to see um the official confirmation on that and there are other races that fall outside of WEC that are also endurance races in the same way that there are other races that fall outside of other stuff that could fall into that category but mm-hmm. yeah I found it quite fascinating I don't know how it would be to watch them because obviously it's a lot longer than any of the other ones we're used to when mm-hmm. 24 hours and one was on I dipped in and out because you can and yeah I just think the strategy involved is so yeah so hard <laughs> it's a lot it's definitely a lot and it takes a lot to be able to do it because like you said it's three hour stints in your longest race and that's mm-hmm insane um yeah what do you think the advantage would be for someone who hasn't made it to f1 maybe heading to something like this instead a lot more casual Mm -hmm. it's formula one for all it's for as much as i love it is very high on that horse if you will Um, (laughs) yes um so if you could start with like a a more casual series to get you into motorsport Mm -hmm. indycar I would say Formula E, but I feel like Formula E is kind of just a step down on that horse, sure. in my opinion, and the way they market it and whatever. And then, but like WEC is great because you don't have to watch the whole race if you don't want to. You can jump in and out. You can, mm. everything, it's going to be different every time. Uh, you could go to one race and you could basically experience something completely different or you could go to all mm-hmm. of them. It doesn't really right. matter. And it's a lot cheaper too. Yeah. And I think it's less of a commitment as a fan, but it's also less of a commitment as a driver. Like. I can see why it would appeal to Seb. I can see why it would appeal to Mick for them to do those things, but also be able to do other stuff like be a family or be a Mercedes reserve driver. I, I kind of do see the appeal of that in terms of wanting to keep a finger in the motorsports and racing world, but actually having other things going on as well. Not being fully consumed by it. As much as people have cautioned him against going with Alpine, but we digress. We digress. That's probably most of what we've got time for today. So if, you guys had to pick to be a driver or to be a fan or to be involved in one of the three. Which one would it be and why? Ooh. Um, at least start off. I would go FE, I think. Why? Or maybe work. One of those two. I think you get to see enough of the world without it being so dominating. I suppose FE is more like F1, so it would be quite time-consuming, but it would be less noisy. <laughs> And but I don't know, work, I, work, could be, work could be fun, a bit different. I don't know if I'd stay awake. My thought process was also between FE or WEC, just because as someone who works in sports and the way I watch sports, like I don't think my heart can take me being a fan and or working in MotoGP. Like I get heart right. attacks watching my, chi- my children play the sports that aren't anything motor related. And by children, I mean the athletes I work with. I don't have kids. I mean, I mean, I mean the athletes I work with. Like, I get heart attacks too when, like, oh, dealing like with them. Watching my actual children climb trees and things like that. So, yeah, and I'm let alone you. MotoGP. So, like, I don't think I can, I don't think I'm tough enough for MotoGP in terms of that. So, like, to FE or work. And I think I just want to, I think I'm going to work just because it's something very new and very different from what like, I already mm-hmm. know about motorsport. 
I think it'll be fun yeah. to like do that, especially like love that. My mind goes like working. It's like I'll be really cool to work and like all that fun stuff. Go on, Hannah. 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 So you two both said that you don't want to go with MotoGP because you don't think you could handle the chaos. Well, we all know I love a bit of chaos, and I was thinking yeah, of between you either WEC or MotoGP, and you brought up the point that you would be able to stay awake for WEC, which is completely true. I I enjoy my sleep, so I'm going to go with MotoGP because it is exciting, and because it is a little bit chaos, and it's fun. And love that. Yeah. You be you. Look, look, I can deal with chaos. Just don't do it in your sport. Like... <laughs> well chaos in your sort means i do my job and i kind of don't want to do that sometimes <laughs> well thanks for joining us thanks for learning these two all these three little episodes with us of MotoGP, gp and fe we'll be back next week post guitar to talk everything guitar related and also we're very very excited to delve back into f1 academy because f1 academy is going to be back alongside f1 in austin and so we want to give you plenty of time so we're doing it the week before the week before austin so that you've got time to kind of plan your schedules around being able to watch it and then we've got some other stuff exciting things planned before actual austin so don't miss that next week another f1 academy episode i think that's everything from us guys and great bye bye guys bye, bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any questions on anything we discussed today, or there are topics you'd love to learn about with us in the future, then we would love to hear from you. You can get in touch on Instagram at PrettyGirlF1Club and on Twitter at PGF1C or follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. See you soon.